Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt podcast? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is May 4th, almost May 5th, so may the 4th be with you, and then Cinco de Mayo it up. Back-to-back Kind of holidays. This is yeah. episode 181. Holidays? Well, I mean, Come Cinco on. de Mayo is a holiday. And Cinco de Drinco is not a holiday. It yeah, I mean. Everybody like... Cinco de Drinco's every day around here. <laughs> well, that's true. Come on. But they don't Cinco de Drinco Don Julio every day. At least I don't. You're a special kind of guy. It's yummy. Uh, so that's what I'm drinking to know. Drop time spirits tonight, boys. Unless you get some tequila over there for the holiday. Cinco de Drinco, as Greg says. You must have polished off the bottle. I've had that for uh, a couple of years now. It just sits up there for a year until Cinco de Mayo. No, I'm seeing the drop tying. I don't see it anymore. Oh, they're all downstairs. I, I had a bonfire on Saturday night, brought everything down mm. for a half a minute. But, yeah. Hey, we're coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast Studio. Go ahead and check out OKSHunter.com. Use code W2HPODCAST for 10% off. I've been seeing a lot of folks redeem that code, so that's great. Good to know that... Uh, you hear us and you want to save money. You want to save money on your car insurance, listen to a different podcast. But if you want to save money on some coffee, you can check out backwardsgrind.com. Use code W2H podcast. Again, 10% off. I'm trying their sunrise blend and next month. Oh, next month. I get the whole bean because I'm going to grind it up myself. I know they grind it for you and it comes real fresh, but I like to really have it as fresh as possible each and every morning. So I'm all about that whole bean life. You like that grinded stuff. It's convenient. I crawl my butt out of bed. I I build a pot of coffee and I jump in the shower. You build a pot of coffee? That's right. All right. I'm special like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like a coffee snob. I'm like a little shit about it. I, I put in like the the French press and whatever. You get pretty fancy with you gotta it. You got to grind it coarsely. Otherwise, it doesn't work right. You don't get all the flavor. Do it right, man. It makes a difference. It tastes good. Nice. Sounds fancy. Yeah. Anyway. You drink it with your pinky out, too? Only on Sunday mornings. Don't ask me why. I knew you were a pinky guy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Hey, and our call-in line, which is live, if anybody wants to call in and talk turkey with us tonight, uh, we're going to be talking with Chris Whitley, who's got all sorts of calls we're going to be diving into. But if you want to call in, the call line is brought to you by Spartan Forge. Also, our live video chat, the technology that we're using is also brought to you by Spartan Forge because they're a technology company and they're 
blazing the trail on deer movement predictability. They are working their asses off right now on getting their app ready for the App Store with a whole bunch of new features. So if you haven't heard us say it already, get over there and subscribe so you can save some money before the price hikes up. And if you want to save money on whatever the price ends up being by the time you get over there, you can use code W2H for 20% off. I think 20 in Starbucks language is a venti. I Could wouldn't be. know. I, I drink backwoods grind. I stay <laughs> away from that place. <laughs> My wife has like an obscene amount of Starbucks gift cards from being a teacher. Like I'm talking like a couple hundred dollars or something that she That's just banked lot. up. So It's a lot of sugary drinks. Yeah. And we never go. So it's like we're near one. We'll like, you know, let's get a Starbucks, you know, because she's got the thing, but I don't pay for it. That's nice. That is nice. So that's nice. Tell me about your turkey. I shot one. It's bagged up and put in the freezer. The uh, the fan is all stretched out and boraxed and cleaned up real nice. Took the oil gland out of it and cleaned all the meat off the, the tail. It uh, should make a nice mount. Really? So you're yeah. going to mount it? It's, a good, it's good enough to mount? Yeah. Really? What makes it good enough to mount? I don't know anything about this turkey business. What makes it good enough to mount? Well, it's not all shot full of holes. It's got nice colors to it, and uh, the feathers are in decent shape. I was going to use it for my decoy, but I figured, well, it's too nice of a fan to use for the decoy. I'll, I'll doctor up the you one I have. You put the beard on there, too, in the shotgun shell, or what? Yeah, I just, I, for now, the, the beard's sitting in the shotgun shell up on the shelf, and I'll, uh, what's it? That fan has a chance to dry out from the borax doing its thing. A couple weeks, I should be able to plaque it. You should do a video on that. I'm surprised you didn't. Yeah, I kind of did a sort of one after the fact. I'd, I probably... I got one more chance to kill another turkey, so maybe I'll put together a okay. video. But That's something I would honestly. I you would YouTube that. It, I don't know how to do it, but but you could YouTube it. Sure. And there's there's a ton of videos on YouTube, so I don't know why people would want to watch me do it when there's like eleven hundred of them on there already. Because <laughs> you got the heart of a teacher, you know. Tell me <clears throat> what happened. How did you get the bird? Like what? <laughs> you called. He came. You shot. He died. Wrong. Yeah, I know. No, not even close. Uh, every time that I saw. <clears throat> I started last Wednesday, opening morning, had an awesome Tom come rolling through. He maybe got 150, 200 yards to me. Okay. Huge bird, big beard on him, but he didn't want to close the distance. I'd call, he'd pick his head up, he'd look right at my decoys, he'd fluff up. There was another hen not far away from him, drop his feathers down, go walk towards that hen. Call at him again. Pick his head up, look right at my decoys, fluff his feathers up again, and do his little dance. Put his head down, act like he's feeding, and then pick his head up and look again. And then he just decided to wander off. He didn't want to come over and play. Hmm. So I had to work Thursday. Friday morning went out, didn't see any birds. Heard him gobbling, but didn't see any birds. But it was really windy, and it, it had dropped down temperature. Um. Saturday morning, went out, saw another nice Tom, but, again, he didn't want to play. He got as close as 100 yards and saw another hen out in the field and decided, well, that live hen looks better than those two fake hens next to that strutting Jake decoy. So another one that made his way out the door, and I went Sunday. Typically, most of the birds, the, the Toms were moving through by 7.30 in the morning. Uh... 7.30 in the morning, came and went. My buddy, Derek, he messaged me before 7.30. He had gotten a bird. Mm-hmm. 
and then uh, it got quiet. I didn't hear any more gobbling. So I'm like, well, it's quarter after eight. I haven't seen anything other than a couple of hens. I had two hens come right into the decoys and hang out for about 20 minutes and then move off. I kind of spied the whole area with my, my binos and checked it all out just to make sure nothing else was popping through. I'm going to take a walk. I need to take a walk because I couldn't feel my legs anymore <laughs> sitting. So took a walk probably about 300 yards away and just kind of made a loop through this little patch of timber where I'd heard birds gobbling. And somebody actually shot one Sunday morning, too, back there. Came back, and just as I was kind of cresting the hill to, to be able to see my decoys, I could see these two fans dancing around my decoy and my decoy spinning around and there's dust flying (laughs) everywhere i'm going oh man i totally missed out on that opportunity because i had my camera there all set up on the tripod i could have got video of it but instead i decided to get up and walk because because you're an okay hunter yeah Mm -hmm. i'm not great so i snuck up to the fence line got within about 40 yards and waited for them birds to separate took the shot sent that one tumbling backwards his buddy decided, well, maybe I want to join in on this too and tried pounding on that bird as he's flopping around. And then I just kind of ran up and kind of waved my arms, and he went, oh. Snapped out of it. Yeah, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that. And then he took off and run. Yeah. So, but that was pretty much it. The decoy took the brunt of most of the uh, it looked pretty beat activity. Up. So, <laughs> oh, well. Well, congrats, dude. Yeah. You I'll got take good it. Food. I love it. Better be uh, lucky than Cheers good. Cheers to that. All right. Hey, on the line with us today, we have Chris Whitley. Uh, welcome, Chris. He is with, let me get it right, Get Outdoors Today, which is where you're going to find him on TikTok. And if you want to find him on Instagram, which is uh, probably a little less content there, Whitley's Whitetail Pursuit. And uh, Chris, man, thanks for joining us today. How you doing? Thanks for the invite. I'm doing great. I love the turkey story. Uh, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah like i said just appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on uh, i love talking anything to do hunting sorry for the southern accent i'm from north carolina here so uh There's no so it is strong either. uh we like it man so, it's awesome uh, but yeah thank you. well we're happy to have uh, you i go to uh, i do a lot of public land i do a lot of public land hunting in ohio and it's funny i go into a cafe there and uh First of all, I, I order sweet tea and I get the deer in the headlight look like, what is sweet tea? Uh, and then uh, they look at me and say, uh, you're not from around here, are you? And I said, no. So uh, they, they pick up on the accent really quick up there. So I dig the accent. I think it's pretty cool. We got a buddy uh, down in Arkansas. His accent's not as thick as yours, but he has a lot of Southern like quips that he'll say that I find really hilarious. But your accent's thicker. It's, it's a cool accent, man. I wish... Uh, I don't know. I kind of wish I had a cool accent like that. We're just stuck up here with this Wisconsin accent. Up, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you, Canadian <laughs> now? Basically. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I Just real quick, uh, to kind of set the, the frame, as to, I found you on TikTok because you're putting out so much content. It's super quick hitting, but it's insanely practical. And, and that's for deer hunting and turkey hunting. And talk about how you kind of fell into this stuff, man. Uh, you fell into it is exactly it. I mean, uh, so I was on a duck hunting trip with some buddies, um, and we're in the hotel the night before the duck hunt, 
and they're just sharing videos and just rolling, just laughing at everything. I said, what are you guys looking at? And they said, and this was about a year ago or so. Um, and they said, it's TikTok, man. I thought, TikTok? What in the world? I said, I thought that was for, like, people to get on the scene and stuff. They said, no, 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 no. TikTok's way more than that. So uh, so I download the app. And, of course, the first few months I'm on TikTok, I'm just, like everybody else, I'm looking at videos, commenting on stuff, you know. And I don't know, one day I just decided to post a video of my dog of, of anything, you know, and just, I had a couple of little fishing videos, but nothing that really took off. Uh, you know, you get a couple, you know, a couple hundred views and you think, all right, I'm doing really good. And then one day I'm in my basement, I'm fletching arrows. And I thought, you know, if I watch how to videos on YouTube, I get a 30 minute video with about five minutes worth of content that I'm really interested in, you know, and then a lot of it's about just talking about the person that's doing the thing. I thought, what if I could dumb this stuff down to about a minute limit that we get on TikTok? And I said, you know, just something that's quick hitting, but very informational. So I create my first hunting related video about fletching arrows. And I, that was even the intro. I was like, this is fletching arrow TikTok style. Uh, a lot of corny stuff. But anyway, I post that and it just boom, it, it took off. And then I started getting uh, questions, you know, how do you do this with bow hunting? Uh, how, what's your bow? Um, you know, what arrows do you use? All kinds of stuff. And I just enjoyed that feedback so much. And so I went from, uh, you know, fletching arrows to lighted knocks to just how I shoot bow, things like that. And just the more stuff I put out, it just seemed like it ballooned. And people would ask me, what do you do uh, in this situation? Or what tree stand are you using? So we started talking about public land and I started talking about uh, tree stands. And that's really when my stuff just exploded when I started showing what tree stands I used, how I packed them. I showed how I hung my tree stands, um, pros and cons of different tree stands. And like I said, it just took off. And, and really, it's been driven by the comments that I'm getting from people. You know, uh, can you show me this? Can you show me that? And I transitioned from the deer. deer. I did a little bit of duck hunting stuff, but I'm relatively new in duck hunting myself. Um, but then into turkey season, man, it just took off because, I mean, I'm, I absolutely love uh, turkey hunting. Uh, I've done a lot of calling. Um, I entered my first competition this year, so I had stuff to talk about that. And it's just so many questions about, uh, you know, hunting in general. And what really kept me going, because it takes a lot of time to make a lot of these videos and, and cut them down. But I get these kids on here asking me, you know, I don't have anybody to show me how to do this. or I don't have anybody to show me how to do that. Can you tell, talk to me about it? And I show it, and it's just the feedback has been amazing on it. So I stuck with it. Cool. Yeah, I think I, I came across your stuff when it was tree stand stuff. And I was like, because of the quantity you're putting out, but but the quality also. So not take away from that. I was like, see it. But then like the repetition, see it again, see it again, see it. I was like, okay, I, oh, shit, this is like really good. This is great. I think I sent some to Greg like a while back. Like, hey, did you see how this guy does this with the sticks? I did a video of, you know, sticks, but it was not a how-to or a tutorial. It was me like getting frustrated that I couldn't stack them because I'm an unorganized idiot. Uh so it's a different style of video. Okay, it's Hunter stuff. <laughs> you know, and right. so I'm, I'm watching this stuff. I'm like, yep. man, this is like super practical. So then obviously I, I dive down the rabbit hole of everything you have going on. And it's it's just also great. So it's very clear you're taking the feedback from people watching. And if it's younger people trying to get in the space, like, dude, I want to commend you in such a major way for that. Because that's a that's a, a, a bridge that it's really hard to, to gap or bridge that gap. Really hard gap to bridge. I said that backwards. Um, classic. It works. I got it. Yeah. You so, point across. 
But what's your background with hunting? Like, how long have you been hunting? Tell the audience where you're from. Uh, what do you love to hunt? And, and it sounds like you hunt some public land, so that's awesome. That's what we're all about. Yep. Uh, I mean, I came from a long line of hunters. Uh, I mean, my great-grandpa uh, built a cabin in the mountains, bought some land, built a cabin. And from there, my great-grandpa to my grandpa to my dad and then on to me. Uh, everything focused around hunting. Uh, my dad uh, and my uncle and my grandpa all had a business. They owned their own business. It was tree trimming and stuff. So they, during the winter, uh, things would slow down and they would just, I mean, they own their business so they could take off as much as they want. My grandpa would go to the mountains and spend the entire month uh, of November in the mountains hunting. So, um, so I was introduced to it from an early, early age. I've got pictures of me just barely able to walk with a little plastic bow in my hand when my dad would bring a deer home and, you know, they, pretend like I'm shooting the deer and stuff. So, um, and like I said, I just, I eat up with, I got eat up with it. I just, I I loved uh, deer hunting was my first passion. um, And I didn't think anything would take the, uh, you know, that, that crown of deer hunting until I got into turkey hunting. And I got into turkey hunting probably when I was in high school. I did a little, a little bit before high school, but when I got my license, um, I guess that was my biggest regret in life. I, I quit doing fall sports. I absolutely love playing football, uh, but hunting was a bigger passion. So I quit football uh, when I got my license because I could, after school, I was headed to the mountains, headed to the woods. So, um, and then, you know, in the springtime, uh, turkey hunting, I just, I don't know. Uh, it took off. Uh, I, I loved it. And I'm somebody that my wife, it, it kills her. If I get into a hobby, I don't just dabble in it. When I get into it, I am full bore. I got to get, you know, it, it just takes over. So, and it doesn't matter. I mean, when I switch from season, it's, it's deer season. It's everything's about deer season, duck hunting. It's everything about duck hunting. And then it just keeps carrying on. So, uh, so yeah, uh, to say it's an obsession would be an understatement. Um, I really had to kind of put it in check when I started having kids. Cause you know, I didn't want to miss out on kids, baseball games and things like that. So, so I have toned it down just a little bit uh, when the kids came in, but they're getting to getting to that hunting age now. And so they're wanting to get in the woods. So now it just gives me another excuse to, to dive right back in full, full steam. So, uh, but yeah, um, most of my hunting is here in the mountains of North Carolina. I'm with, I'm from the Western part of the state. We're in the foothills. So we're not at the, the peak of the mountain, but we're not, you know, in, in the flatland either. So we're right there in between. Um, it can be some tough terrain uh, as far as turkey hunting and stuff. We're in mountains. Uh, I've learned and developed a style, and I talk about that in a lot of my TikTok live videos, um, you know, how I've adapted to that style. I really want to do some kind of what I call flatland hunting. I want to get on some flatland, big open territory and stuff where, you know, decoys are a little bit more prevalent, uh, like you were telling the story about the decoy, the, the bird you got. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I, I'll talk myself into corners here, but, yeah, uh, like I said, that the mountains of North Carolina, we're not known for the biggest bucks. We we kill a big buck here, you know, here and there. But um, we, you know, me and my dad and my buddies really wanted to get after some big deer, and we decided, you know, if we're going to do this, we need to go to Ohio. So that's where we started into our Ohio public land. I've done Ohio public land now for probably ten to twelve years, and like I said, when I got into my Ohio public land. I went into it full bore. I opened, I, I, I called anybody and everybody that I knew that had been to Ohio. Um, I, that's where I kind of got a, an area to start at. I called wildlife managers. I ordered topo maps. Uh, I got on Google earth and would spend hours looking at Google earth. And I studied these maps and just the phone, phone conversation I had. And it was funny because I put X's on this topo map of places. I just wanted to scout. 
And so me and my dad head up to Ohio and we, we scout this land. I go to these X's. I decide, you know what, this is where I'm going to hang my stand. And the second day I'm in Ohio back and when we go back for the deer season, uh, I kill my best buck with a bow on the, the first morning, actually the second day, but first morning we got the hunt, I kill the best buck. And it, it was, it's not what people go to Ohio for. It was a hundred inch eight pointer, but it was the first hundred inch first time I broke a hundred inches with a bow. And I mean, I was on top of the moon. And so that lit the fire for Ohio and we've not missed a year uh, since. So, um, I'm still looking for that Ohio giant. Uh, I am uh, uh, Murphy's law kicks in when the big one gets in front of me. Uh, I practice my bow. I, I think I can shoot a bow just about as good as anybody, but you put that big buck in front of me and the wheels fall off the bus. And uh, so it just things, things happen. But I, I tell people I am the best person for you to hunt with because everybody I go hunting with, it seems like I put them on the biggest buck they've ever killed. I put my dad on the biggest buck he's ever killed. Yep. Uh, I've been up, we've started, uh, went to Ohio, uh, fell in love with that. My dad almost got out of hunting for a while. And when he got back, when I talked to him into going to Ohio, it kind of relit the fire for him. Uh, he absolutely loved going to Ohio. Just the fact that you just never know what may walk out in front of you kind of thing. And it was just a completely different style of hunting. Uh, when we go up there in, in the mountains of North Carolina here, deer are very, they're not very responsive to calling. So grunting or anything in my lifetime, I may have run it in a handful of deer in, in North Carolina uh, to where the first deer I saw in Ohio, the first buck I saw in Ohio, I grunted and the thing nearly climbed a high wall uh, land to get to me. And I thought, well, that's what you see on TV. And then the very next year we went back to Ohio, um, kind of the same thing. I had a, a decent 11 pointer come in 115 inch deer, which was exciting for me. And, um, you know, again, he's a hundred yards off. I grab a grunt call grunt and he turns on, the, you know, just a beeline just straight to me and walks dead under the tree stand. So just completely different style of hunting than I was used to. So we fell in love with it. Um, again, started getting into some bigger deer after, you know, four or five years, we really fine tuned the area we, we went back to. Um, I've had the opportunity, uh, I, I blew it on about 150 to 160 inch deer. Um, but, um, I put my dad on a spot. Uh, I do a lot of scouting and I, I do a lot of the prep work for me and my hunting buddies. And so um, I, I put my dad in an area where he killed 142 inch, I think, uh, 11 point. Uh, I put my buddy on two different bucks, one that just went over 140 and then 133 inch deer, which public land, I mean, and from North Carolina, we are absolutely loving this. So, you know, uh, my biggest buck that I've taken is 122 inch eight pointer up there. So again, that, I mean, that's huge for me uh, and what I'm used to here in the mountains and in, in, in the mountains of North Carolina, if we get a hundred inch to really 110 to 120 inch deer is a really big deer around here. So, uh, so like I said, that's just North or, oh, and that public land trip is just something that uh, I don't know. It just rekindled the fire, completely different style hunting. And uh, I absolutely love it. I'm actually going to do some TikTok stuff uh, about, you know, kind of the prep work that I did to prepare for those trips uh, I've had a lot of requests for that stuff, you know, kind of the maps when I look at a map. So uh, interested to put some stuff like that together. But uh, but yeah, that was kind of the backstory on my uh, my deer hunting. You know, I started off in North Carolina and it's kind of advanced Ohio and, and out of state hunting. And this year I'm going to Kentucky, actually. So we're going to give Kentucky a try. In addition to Ohio? 
this may be the first year uh, I would love for it to be in addition to, but my wife, you know, you get these hunters that say their wife supports them 100% in, in deer hunting, but, you know, my, with my obsession into hunting and, and all that I do, uh, the Ohio, we may have to pump the brakes on Ohio this year. Uh, I had a really neat opportunity to come through on some private land in Kentucky. Uh, somebody and by me on 1100 acres, it's going to be eight guys, which still get that's you know over 100 acres, you know, per person. Uh, supposed to be uh, some really good hunting, so uh, it, I'm probably going to focus on that this year. Uh, it's it's a long term lease, but we're we're not tied into it for long term. Uh, the guy that has the main lease has it for uh, several years, and he told us we can go year by year if we want to. If we want it back the year after, then we can do it. So we we all decided, you know what, let's do this for one year. Uh, if we love it, we'll come back to Kentucky. And if we don't, then we're 100% confident in what we can do in Ohio. So, Awesome. That's cool. So- the problem with Ohio, I guess, that we've seen in Ohio is the first year we went to Ohio, we could pretty much, I mean, I had, you know, you know just third, fourth, and fifth options, you know, as far as areas that I'd scouted and, and stuff. And, and especially after going so many years, you know, we, we've kind of looked at a lot of different spots. So I feel like I've got spots to back, you know, I can – uh, fall back on if somebody's in my spot or something's wrong uh, in that area and but man the last few years the hunting public I love absolutely love those guys but the hunting public if you go back and watch their YouTube um, uh, series a few years like three years ago I think their YouTube series on Ohio I'm hunting the exact same land that those guys are hunting and uh, man it absolutely exploded after after those guys were there um, if you I didn't realize it, but the the intro to uh, to that Ohio uh, trip for the hunting public, they do the intro right in front of. They're in the McDonald's that is right beside the hotel we stay at, and they do the intro there. And there's actually points that in that video that I can actually take you to those points because uh, I mean they're hunting the exact same area. And this year we went back, and I couldn't hunt my my number one location that we have done so good in. Uh, there were guys in that spot, and, and in the last two days we got to go in there. And, uh, and hunt that. We'd had a really slow year, which was really hot in Ohio during November when we went last year. Uh, but when with those last two days, uh, those guys left. We went in there. We pushed way back in, and I wound up seeing three uh, rack bucks that are over 120 inches. Didn't get a shot at any of them, but I, I put put eyes on you know three bucks that were over 120 inches. So, again, for us, that's kind of our target range when we're public land hunting, 120 to 130 inch deer. Anything over that is just icing on the cake kind of thing. So a great perspective but, but yep. hunting public land has it's got so so popular that it's getting harder and harder even when you try and lighten your load and push way back in these spots it's getting harder to get away from the from the public i guess, I guess so i've heard that from other people about where those guys go it starts to just balloon up in their in their aftermath i wonder if that's something that they'll ever address i think they try to do a good job yeah. of like not disclosing where they're at. Whitetail adrenaline is the same. You know, th- those guys get on a spot and people flock to it. They try, everyone tries yeah. to like dissect the, it's like someone holding a fish up. It's like, what dock is that? What house is that in the background? You got to like cover all this stuff up and be secretive. Otherwise it blows up. But when it blows up, there's an opportunity to then do some more exploration and scouting and, and try to like disperse yourself into something else. Cause if you're a good hunter, you're not going to go where all the people are. You're going to try to find exactly. some other spot, right? It's kind of an awkward an awkward thing. Yep. To some degree. I know Greg's really secretive about his spot. So and but that's what made it that's what made it tough for this year. Oh I'm sorry, I didn't catch you off. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> and that's you know, this that's what made it so tough on us this year. 
is we had a couple of spots to fall back on and we saw deer and fought, saw some, uh, some, you know, some smaller bucks uh, while we were exploring some new areas. Uh, actually I walked up on a hundred, probably 140 plus inch deer and just a little twig saved that deer's life. Like I said, Murphy's law kicks in when the big one I was walking, I've learned in Ohio, if you're scouting, you better have a bow in hand uh, if you're walking through the woods uh, because there's been three different occasions that I've been scouting and walked up on a really nice book within bow range on a really nice book. Um, one time or two of the occasions I'd already tagged out and I was walking with a buddy and he hunts with a crossbow. And uh, I told him, I said, you need to be ready. I said, because, you know, you, you walk up on these deer up here. You know, it's, it's just deer, the deer do not seem as skittish in Ohio is what I encounter in North Carolina. And uh, last year we walked up on the biggest buck I've ever laid eyes on. I've never seen one. I mean, I would be afraid to say what that deer scored uh, long times. I mean, he had it all. Um, but yeah, uh, last year though, I walked up, uh, I was scouting an area, walked into this little opening. I heard a deer jump. And what I found out, it was a buck and a doe bedded and the doe went one way and the buck jumped up. And I mean, perfect lane, but there's just this little twig in between me and him. And I come to full draw and I'm trying to lean out around that limb. And before I can clear the limb, he takes off and all I can see is that white tail running away. So, uh, but other than that, it made it really tough because it was so super hot when we were up there that week in Ohio last year. Uh, that the deer movement was just so incredibly slow. And that's just what told us how special that spot that I've got is because when we got those two days to go back in, laying eyes on three rack bucks after we'd spent a week hunting different locations and nobody really laid eyes on a decent deer uh, other than the one I jumped when I was walking in. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it is a special spot what we found in Ohio, but it's, it's really hard to get back to. Uh, there's some really steep terrain and a long walk back into it. And that was one of the, the appeals to Kentucky on the private land because my dad's getting older and he wants to get out there and do it. But he told me, he said, bud, I just, I'm going to have to find some spots that's easier to get to. He said, because I just, I, I, I can't get back in those spots anymore. So, uh, so yeah, that's why we're switching gears, I think. And, and that was another appeal to Kentucky for us this year. So That's cool. Plus the, the Kentucky is supposed to be a great place to turkey hunt too. And I'm, I'm all into the turkey hunting right now. So. Yeah, and you got, you know, speaking of that, you got a bunch of calls that you grabbed up. Uh, before we get into the calls, the well, the turkey calls, I do, I would love to hear your owl call yes. against Greg's owl call. I told Greg about this several times. He's not happy about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my owl call, too. Honest, not honestly, good. you know, if you're if you're projecting through a call, you got way more volume. You know, you're, you got a barrel to yes. project sound, sound through, and I'm just, you know. Tiny little bird lips trying to make an owl hoot, and if it's windy out, they're not hearing it. So, well, let's yeah. let's hear it, Chris, and then we'll hear Greg's. Regardless, we don't got to project too far with the microphone in your okay. face. And so, oh. I, if you want to be fair, I'll do, me, I'll do just a natural voice owl hoot. I'm not great at it, so that'll give you something to shoot for. Uh, I'll do a natural voice versus this, but actually, in my TikToks, that's exactly what I talk about because. Somebody said, well, I've heard you owl hoot, and you're, you're pretty good at owl hooting, but why don't you just owl hoot when you're turkey hunting? Why even use the call? And you said exactly that. I can get so much louder with this, and I feel like I can draw a, a gobble out of a, uh, out of a stubborn bird that doesn't want to gobble a little bit better with the, the call. So that's why I lean heavily on the call. So, But just like a natural voice for me, throat dry, we'll, we'll get this. <laughs> Again, that's horrible. <laughs> to me, that's horrible. My dad's really good at that. But compared to... Uh, that's, that's real my, good. That's my alcohol. And that, 
that's a little bit more drawn out if I'm trying to locate a bird. It's a lot shorter than that because I don't want to miss uh, a bird gobbling. But, you know, just a, a standard try to get a bird to gobble. Yeah, and they'll they'll crack off at the first high note. So you're right. You get you can't go through a big long cadence yeah. of hooting like an owl. And okay. honestly, I mean, I could I could probably carry a a, yep. a a coyote howler out with me, and that's a real loud call too. Uh, so a lot of guys are real good with a crow call. I don't have a decent crow call. So, but the but the owl, I haven't had a ton of success with an owl unless it's flat calm and and no wind. So my my call isn't nearly as loud as is that coming right out of a the barrel of a call. Well, I'll do mine just to show the difference in what practice. We can go ahead and do yours, and I'll do mine to show like I think I can get there eventually if I keep practicing. Sure. That sounded terrible. That's really good. See, I can't do it at all in contrast to that. So, like, these are the layers. This is, like, beginner, and then you go all the way up with the call. It's, but I have a question because I, I don't know shit about this. If I'm a turkey, why the hell am I sounding off if I hear a predator to warn other turkeys? Because isn't that – doesn't that mean the predator is going to find me? What's the deal with that? Wouldn't they just shut up? It's a loud sound that so just – the shock. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. It's, it's kind of like jumping out and scaring my wife, you know, if I jump out. you know, It doesn't matter what noise, if I go, ah, or clap my hands or whatever, she makes that, ah, you know, kind of jump. That, that's kind of it, you know, I think. They they hear that noise, and it just, they, that's why they call it the shock uh, gobble. Uh, you know, they, it just shocks them in, and, and it kind of, uh, it creates that. But I think they get to a certain point later in the season where they've gobbled so much at that kind of stuff that, I mean, they hear so many crow calls, owl calls, turkey calls through a season that, even they get tight-lipped to, to even that. But, but you hear people talk about, you know, I slammed my car door and uh, yep. and a turkey gobbled. I actually killed a bird uh, because of my, my truck door. I, I got home um, from a frustrating turkey hunt where it just poured the rain on me. I got home to change clothes, slammed my car, my truck door shut to go in and put some dry clothes on, and a turkey behind my dad's house uh, gobbled and uh, fell off in the woods, went after him, wound up killing the absolute biggest bird I ever killed uh, because of my truck door. Would never have known that bird, that bird was there had I not slammed my truck door. Yep. So, I've had that too, pull up on a job. To, but that's it, just a loud call. To go do a rough-in on a house and uh, slam the truck door, and there's two birds gobbling right right behind the house. Hmm. It was ridiculous. But last year, I, my opening day was on a big lightning storm, and every time it cracked thunder, those birds would gobble. And it, it continued for about an hour. Every time it would thunder, they would gobble. Lightning would flash, then the crack of thunder, they would gobble again. So they'll, they shock gobble. That's crazy. I, that's good to know. I mean, if you're uh, not a yep. turkey hunter, not, it's not that I'm not a turkey hunter, I just haven't done it. So I guess I'm technically not a turkey hunter, but um, I have a lot of interest in getting into it here. The there's a TikTok video for you, by the way. Go scare the shit out of your wife, and then be like, "See, shock, shock call." <laughs> and then you can be like, "This is why it works." That's a good idea. You can totally. That's a good idea. You can prank it two birds, one stone. You, like you know, two birds, fun intended. You. That's a. I'll that may be take my me in that one I'll now. Four videos. Rah! Like, Jesus Christ. Oh man, I, I scare my wife all the time, but it, I do it like a ninja. I just appear in different rooms in the house, and she's like, "What the hell?" I'm like, "Yeah, what, what?" <laughs> that's always pretty funny. <laughs> but that's a good point, and that's kind of the stuff that I'm kind of conveying 
thing on TikTok is that, you know, I get that question a lot. Why even out hoop or why crow call? Why? I mean, uh, and, but I've actually talked to people. I was actually hunting on, this is on private land in North Carolina, but I honestly think I was hunting beside somebody else across the property line that thought you could call a turkey in with the crow call because a new hunter, I mean, you just grab some calls and go out in the woods and you make a loud noise. If I make a crow call and a bird responds to it, I think, oh, he's, he's responding to that. So I literally listened to a guy blow uh, an alcohol for 30 to 45 minutes solid because every time he blew it, the turkey gobbled. The turkey wasn't changing his location. It was just gobbling over and over. But I really think that guy thought he was calling that bird to him with that crow call. And so that's what I let people know is like, you know, these are just locator. This is just to, for me to be able to pinpoint where that bird is. And then I can make a move, get in position and then start my, my turkey calls to actually try and bring that bird in. So, but there's a lot of newcomers that don't, don't realize that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. The, the coolest use of uh, crow calls I ever heard uh, was a guess I had on a while back, but he used turkey calls to get, to bring in, to bring, I'm sorry, he used crow calls to bring in crows to cover his sound when he was deer hunting. So he would bring in a flock of crows to cover his sound so he could do a stalk on a deer. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like a sorcerer. I thought it was one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard. Uh, not not necessarily ever heard, but it was it was a really unique approach to something that I never would have considered. So you, you're right, you're using this call to locate a bird and make your move. Someone else might be using it to, to you know give themselves some sound cover to make a move on a whitetail or whatever. It's really quiet and still outside. Just really interesting what you can do with these tools, you know? And that's it. Uh, I, I went on a hunt this year. Uh, it was actually the hunt where I killed uh, my bird this year. Um, I only I took one this year, but uh, I got invited uh, to uh, the county just south of up uh, where I'm at. And uh, two new guys, they just I hooked up with these guys through uh, a contact at work. They said, hey, these guys are kind of new into it. They wanted to know if you would come down and maybe call for them. And they said, you can bring your gun and hunt. And so um, I went down there. I was talking to those guys. They'd hunted a little bit and they'd actually both killed birds. But uh, there was a 17-year-old who had only hunted in South Carolina. And he told me after the hunt, after when we actually all three killed a bird that day. Um, and he said, I never knew that you could go after turkeys the way you go after turkeys. He said, you actually hear them. And then you're kind of like making a move kind of methodical about where you want to get like above that turkey or on the same level as that turkey to try and call him in. And before you begin calling, he said, if the bird doesn't do what you want him to do, you know, he doesn't come straight to you, you're repositioning and stuff. He said, when I'm in open fields in South Carolina where that boy usually hunts, he said, we can't do that. He said, we're pretty much stuck in a two or three, 800 acre field. He said, we set our decoys up and sit down and we're limited to the turkeys that come out in that field to be able to see our setup, but we can't make a move if they don't do what we want, where you can kind of change your positions and stuff. And so um, it's just, that's why I like turkey hunting is because the style that I do it, which is called run and gun style is completely different than how somebody else may do it, but man, it's so exciting either way. I mean, uh, you see the people now, I think they call it reaping, which that gets a lot of, uh, of bad press from a lot of people. A lot of your hardcore turkey hunters say that that's kind of cheating, but it's very interesting to watch. That's those guys that you see with the fan out in front of them with their gun or their bow right behind it, you know, trying to trigger that, that Tom to, you know, that dominance effect to come in strutting and, and trying to come in and, you know, basically run over you before you get the shot. But there's just so many different ways that you can go about it. And it, and when you get it done, it doesn't matter how you got to that end. It's, it's so exciting. Do you know anybody that does any reaping, Greg? Most of the Chase Nation boys do a lot of reaping. Yeah. That seems like a really yeah. exciting way to do it. I can't imagine some, I don't know. Yeah, I've had zero success at it, but I'm not good at it either. You've so. tried it? 
yeah, it, I don't know, maybe I moved too fast, or maybe the bird was just like, yeah, I don't need to get my butt whooped by that, and he just bailed. <laughs> he he wasn't having it. you got to do your turkey call, not your owl call when you're reaping. Well, yeah, that might help, too. <laughs> no, that's that's interesting. I, um, what was I going to say there? Ah, hell, I don't remember. I was going to say something, and it just totally fleeted. But what other what other calls? That was you- one of the one of the most heated conversations I got into on TikTok. On the comments on TikTok was uh, a, a friend of mine through TikTok. Just a TikTok friend that I've actually talked to a good bit now. Uh, DTI Outdoors. Uh, he was catching a ton of flack because he had talked about reaping, and he had some guys just absolutely beating up. And of course. I couldn't lay off. I got into the comments and it was just amazing to me how many people were against that method. And, and my thing is, is if it's a legal method to go after a bird, it's your tag. You hunt that bird, how you want to hunt it. And uh, like I said, as long as it's a legal method, I mean, I'm all for it. If it was, if it was a hundred percent foolproof where everybody that did it was killing birds, then, you know, the wildlife I'm sure would step in and say, you know, let's, we can't do this. It's taking too many birds, but it's not that case. Like you guys said, it's not a foolproof method. So it's just, uh, and the cool thing after after I got looking into it, I mean that's how Native Americans used to to hunt turkeys. They would actually that's how they hunted those birds. So I I, I love it. I, I I've not tried it myself, but it's it's a cool method. I think the concept is great. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Is the the DNR incident reports we have them here in Wisconsin and other states have them too, where they're required to report incidents that happen. One of the more common incidents that and I should go look right now. There's probably some reports from this past weekend. Um, but it was commonly like turkey hunters shooting turkey hunters because they had mistaken each other for turkeys doing reaping. Like they were behind a decoy. And I don't know if it's always that, though. I think a lot of it is if it's a public piece of property or it's a big piece of property where multiple hunters have permission. Guys set up in a woods. We'll say it's a thicker area. Mm-hmm. They set a couple decoys out. They maybe see a little movement or somebody's just dumb enough to where they hear the calling. They look and go, yep, that's that looks and sounds like the real deal, I'm going to shoot it. They shoot that direction right past the decoy, and there's hunters yeah. there. No, th- but that, there's literally ones where it was like incident report, you know, guy calls in turkey, turkey moves in, turns out it was a guy behind a de- you know, like. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I've read it, man. Fr- like, from the horse's mouth, that's like how it went down. I'm not saying that that was common, but it can it's happen. happened. <laughs> so, like, you know, it goes back to hunter safety 101. Know your target and beyond. Like, be sure of your target, like, and what's beyond it. Uh, so I don't know, maybe some of the decoys look pretty freaking real and some of the turkey calls sound pretty real. So I don't know, some of that's really interesting, you know? What's your favorite type of turkey I've actually call? called in a trespasser one time. You called in a what? Um, actually, a trespasser one time. <laughs> I was on my property calling to a bird that was responding to me, and I hear something walking behind me on the ridge, and I, I ease around and look behind me, and sure enough, I see a guy skyline, and I guess he thought he was going to kill this bird, and it, it amazed me because he just bails right off the hill, starts walking. I mean, the bird was obviously going to hear him, but eventually I had to just stand up and start waving my arms like, hey, buddy. I, that's, that's, and he got to me. He was like, was that you calling? I said, yeah. I said, I was doing the hen sounds. I said, the bird was gobbling. I said, before you <laughs> kind of screwed us up here. But, uh, and I said, and by the way, I said, do you know whose property you're on? Uh, well, um, yeah, and got the deer in a headlight look again. And so, uh, uh, yeah, so had to run him off, but uh, yeah, there's a way to meet new neighbors, uh, new property owners beside you. But yeah, I actually called him in with a turkey call. So nice. <laughs> yeah, you had a question, Greg. Yeah, I was just asking, you know, what's your favorite style of call to use? Because I've seen some of your videos, My and favorite. Uh, and you're uh, you're like Batman with a utility belt with all the all the stuff you bring out with you. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and I get picked on for that. I'm if I normally carry enough stuff to carry, you know, to outfit two or three different guys, but I'm always like I said, Murphy's Law kicks in on me all the time, so I'm gonna have a backup call or two or three or four, you know, in my so I typically this is the calls that I actually pulled out of my vest. This is my absolute go to's. I carry uh three uh, mouth calls at least uh in my vest. Part of that is, you know, if you lose one, but part of that too is if if I'm calling to a bird and it say it doesn't pan out for me um, and I need to make another setup or, you know, you can even spook a bird and still go back after him. You know, a lot of times if, if something happens and I don't get that bird, I'll make a big loop, get on the other side of him and put in a different mouth call and sound completely like a different hen, you know. And so, um, so that's one reason I carry, I use mouth calls more than anything because I can do those. I'm, I'm, I'm proficient with these and I don't have to use my hands, uh, you know, at any when that bird gets in tight, if I feel like I need to do some more calling, uh, I don't have to use my hands to where a box call or a slate call require some sort of motion, uh, you know, to, to use these calls. And so, but with a mouth call, I can stay still and, and call them in with a mouth call. And again, uh, with these calls, I'm so versatile. I can make pretty much any noise that a hen makes with these calls. So I'm not limited. If I feel like I need to do something different or throw something different at that bird to get a response out of him. Uh, then I can do that with a mouth call. So, absolutely, I agree but, uh, with that. I, 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 I'll I, show you guys. Go ahead. Go ahead. I missed that. No, I, I was just going to say I'm agreeing with you about the mouth call. Uh, just way better control of volume. I mean, I can control volume pretty good with a slate, but it's nice to be hands free. So, uh, diaphragm calls, I can just like you, I can make most any sound I need to make that a hen makes and I can control that volume down real low. Like I had a hen at my feet the other day and just listened to her, you know, putt and purr at me. And I was able to mimic those calls and just keep her right there. And then I got tired of trying to imitate her and then she got bored and moved off. But it's pretty cool to be able to do that. And with a slate call, you're moving your hands. And if you're like me and you do more kind of jump in a brush pile and, use whatever's around you to cover, you can't be moving around too much. It's just, it's not going to work. Yep. That's all. And there's, there's little tricks you, you can do with a slate call and set it beside you, but you lose that sound and still any bit of movement that you make with a turkey. I mean, you're, you're risking it, you know? So yeah, right. that's, I'm, I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Pot calls or slate calls. Yeah. And that's why you set them on the ground. It projects its sound out the back. So, and, and through, and through the striker, but you're muffling that, that sound, you know, those are great for like standing up on a high point or even a box call and, and hitting that. You can get a really nice, loud, crisp call out of those. And so that's why I did a lot. I mean, a lot of people struggle with a mouth call. A lot of people want to use a mouth call. And um, just through my experience that I went through trying to fine tune my calling, uh, I learned a lot. Um, I use actually, these are youth calls. I use uh, a small frame call. And that's something that I had to learn over time was that, you know, I tried to use the calls that my dad, my uncle, you know, the same style of call uh, that they were using. And it didn't matter how much practice I did. I just could not get the sound that I wanted. I could, I was good enough to kill turkeys with it and, because you don't have to be great at calls. That, I think that's one misconception is people think, oh, I have to sound like these competition callers to, to do good. And you don't. I mean, as long as you can get the cadence of a turkey, you can kill a bird. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I think it does for like pressure birds um 
the more realistic you can sound, I think that's an advantage for you because if they've heard a lot of rough sound calling or whatever, the more you can sound like a, a real hen in the woods, then I think that is an advantage. So that's why I've tried to try to perfect everything that I do, I guess. So, um, but yeah, I went through a struggle to, to get the right sound. And when I stumbled across, across a youth call, um, I put that in and immediately saw an improvement in my call. And so, um, and that's why I started doing the TikTok tutorials, you know, uh, before I even got into making turkey sounds, I did a whole series on uh, selecting the correct fitting call for you. Uh, I did one about breaking the reeds apart because if you've not used one of these, you don't realize that these reeds can actually stick together and you think your call is, uh, is something's wrong with it or something's wrong with the way you're using it. And it could be something as simple as your reeds are stuck together and you separate those reeds and you get that sound right back. So, um, like I said, there's a lot of stuff there that goes into even before you start making a call uh, that can help somebody that may not have somebody to teach them. And then I got into just absolutely just making noise. It doesn't matter if it's a turkey noise, just just get sound out of the call and then develop that from uh, just making sound into turkey noises. And so that's how I kind of progressed my first, you know, TikTok series on mouth calls uh, and got such a response from that. It's like that. I don't know. It's just. It, it sends chills up me sometimes the comments I get is like, man, I've been trying this so much and something you said in one of your TikToks, I tried it and it worked for me. And then beyond that, I've had people say, I've actually killed a bird using what you've talked to me about. And I don't, that's why I keep doing it. Like I said, it, it's a, it's a lot of work to make these TikTok videos. And there's a few times I was like, oh man, you know, it's taking time away from family, but I get that, that positive feedback so much uh, from people that I'm helping out. And so that's kind of what kept me going there. But, uh, but yeah, if you guys want to hear it, like I said, I'll give you some do it. Just kind of just some basics as far as what kind of turkey. All right. So let me make sure, first of all, that my reeds aren't stuck together because if, again, if they are, I'm not going to get the sound, but um, I'll do a scenario. This isn't something I would do when I'm calling. It's a more kind of competition style doing, but I'll do like kind of a scenario of a bird in the tree doing a fly down. Then when it hits the ground, kind of the, the noises it'll make. And I'll go from soft yelps and get a little bit aggressive with it. So just real quick. So I start off with a tree call. Shoot. We'll get even realistic. We'll get the, the turkey fan out of the vest here. So. wide range of different turkey noises you might hear in the woods so yep sounds very familiar you get close hopefully enough that, to where they're hopefully that came through the microphone. yeah it certainly did that's awesome man watching you do that i can tell like you're actually in the zone of being a turkey you're like all right i'm i'm like you could probably give me some reasons as to what they're doing i think where they're just kind of sounding off saying like hey i'm waking up I'm, I'm in roost. I'm trying to make sure everything's good. They're trying to talk to each other before they come. I mean, I've been scared shitless by turkeys coming out of roost deer hunting. Um, and that's when hens like, make oh my God. hens make their most noise. Like they're the most vocal right when they're flying down. 
and, and that is a clear cut, mm-hmm. perfect example right there. The cluck, the purr, the putt, you know, all all the different noises he made. And then once they hit the ground, you might get one that comes out to feed right off the mm-hmm. roost, and she gets real mouthy like that, and then they're real quiet. Once you get past that point where they're flown down from the roost, gobbler's kind of quiet down, less is more. At least in my experience, less yes. is more. You know, so it's going to be you're not doing that whole call sequence the entire morning. And I think you're doing a good job of explaining that to your followers that, hey, this is this is how you want to do it early in the morning. You know, sound like a couple of birds coming off the roost. And then as the day progresses, less is more. And people do that with ducks too. I mean, you know if you've gone out and, and duck hunted on a on a public marsh or where there's a lot of people, it literally sounds like a calling competition. And I have never heard a duck in my life ever of hunting make that much noise hollering at other ducks high in the sky. Never, ever. If your decoys are set right, let's be honest, if you're turkey hunting, you're duck hunting, goose hunting, you don't need a lot of calling. If the birds are willing to commit, your decoys are doing a lot of work. You don't need to call. Guys that reap, you don't see them calling. They're using the fan. The fan is what looks the most realistic. I don't know. That's my two cents. And that was one of my most uh, responsive uh, videos, I guess, on TikTok as far as the turkey series goes. I said, uh, I did something like this. I said, uh, you guys want to hear a secret call? You know, I said, even if, uh, I said, if if too many people find out about this call, I said, uh, uh, you know, too many birds will be killed. They'll have to shut down seasons. And so I said, now listen to this. And I go, and I don't make a noise. I say, did you hear that? You know, and I said, here, let me play it for you again. And that's what I'd tell them. I said, silence a lot of times is what kills a bird more than impressive calling. What I'm trying to do with a mouth call or any call for that matter is pique his interest. Once we're trying to go against nature in nature, a long beard, he may not roost right with his hands, but he'll call in a tree. He might, he may gobble. And a lot of times that gobbling is just say, Hey, I'm here. He flies down. He makes a couple of gobbles. If his hands are over and I'm in the mountains, so it's always on ridges and stuff, but you know, he's, he may be on this ridge and, and the hen over on another ridge. He gobbles a few times. And the next thing you know, you hear the hens come to him he gobbles a couple of times. He's quiet and he's off with his hands and, you know, that's, he's hand up for the better part of the morning. So you're trying to go against nature when you're calling a bird and making him respond to you and come to you. So that's what makes it so hard. So it's almost trying like playing hard to get with a bird. I'm trying to pique his interest just enough because he's hearing me. He knows where I'm at. And then if I can shut it down and go quiet, then it's like, well, why is she not interested in me? And I guess the ego kind of kicks in, but a lot of times he'll come looking for you if you shut it down. But I hear so many people fall in that routine where they call the bird responds and they think, Oh, that works. So let me call again. And they call and the bird responds, but he's not moving. He's staying in that same area. And you're just repeatedly just calling. He's gobbles calling. He gobbles and eventually gobbles to the point where he just loses interest or he gathers hens that actually come to him and they take him off, you know? So to where if you can just shut it down and be quiet, quiet um and we're not used to that and he's not he's after so long he's expecting the hen to show up and she, she doesn't show up so you know he's like okay well i better go look for her so either that or you know call away from you, you can project your sound back behind you i've actually on a hung up bird i've actually got up and like walked 10 15 yards behind me call run back to the tree sit back down and then just sit there and the next thing you know here comes that bird he thinks that hen's getting out of town so he's coming to look for her so just pique the interest and then shut it down if you can and there's, you know, there's sometimes where 
if a bird is just super, super vocal and he's coming to you, I mean, there's some birds you just can't mess up. I mean, you call to them and they, they want every, every little bit you can throw at them. And those birds are really fun to hunt because you can be super aggressive with a calling. But a really smart Tom, an old Tom, it, it's less is less is way more. That's good to go. I mean, that's, gosh, that could be good dating advice for some young guys out there. You know, <laughs> if you start texting her too much, buddy. You're overdoing it. You gotta let them come to you. I mean, there's another analogy, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, <laughs> that's right. Oh my gosh, that's great. No, this is all super cool yep. information. I haven't heard it explained this way. I've had some uh, podcasts in the past. We talk about turkey calling, but um, you know the 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 specific tactics and reasoning you're giving to things, as well as the practice you put into the calls. You're, I mean, you're doing competitions. You clearly know what you're doing there. How long did it take you to get proficient at some of this stuff? If you had to put your finger on it. I started calling turkeys when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. So probably 25 years or so, <laughs> 25 years or so. Uh, seriously. Um, I feel like I just got competition worthy. I had some friends in, in my area. Um, his name is Mitchell Johnston. I'm wearing his hat dead end uh, game call. So it's a cheap uh, <laughs> plug for him, I guess. But uh, Mitchell, uh, I went to school with him. He was a year or so ahead of me. He got into uh, turkey calling and got into competitions and I'd never really looked at competitions that much, but didn't realize what kind of, you know, uh, what kind of platform there was for calling. And he did really well, started winning competitions locally, went on and actually won the NWTF grand national calling championship uh, back in 2010 or 2011. And man, that opened up so many doors for him. He got picked up by Woodhaven calls. Uh, they made his own signature series call with Woodhaven um, he, you know, you saw him in magazines. It got to the point where, uh, it got him so much recognition that he started his own company. And I mean, he's making, he's doing, uh, like I said, uh, all kind of turkey calls. Mouth calls is kind of his bread and butter, but he makes box calls, pot calls. He's branched over into duck calls and, and turkey calls, but it just opened up so many doors. So I always heard Mitchell and I guess, Hearing him is kind of what kept me out of the competition because, I mean, he set the bar so high. I'm thinking there's no reason for me to compete if that guy is doing, you know, this well. Uh, but then I got, like I said, um, I, I, I tried to be as good as I could be to help me in the woods. And so I never really got into the competition. And really until TikTok, uh, I started doing TikTok tutorials on stuff to help hunters. And then I got such positive feedback on my turkey calling that I thought, you know what, I'm going to try competition. So I got an invite to do a competition, went to it. I finished uh, first in the amateur division. I finished uh, second in the uh, overall, and I finished first in the North Carolina resident. We had some guys out of state to come in and won the whole thing. Uh, but that really, I mean, kind of opened up my, my door. But I actually went to uh, Mitchell, and I went to his shop, and actually he worked me through because competition calling is way different than um, – than actually what I use in the woods, I believe. I get way more aggressive, and uh, you're making the, a lot of the same sounds and stuff, and you're trying to imitate, like, create a scene with, with uh, competition calling, but I, I don't know. It, it, there's there's a little bit different. I throw calls at them in a competition that I, I, I wouldn't necessarily, like, a kiki run and stuff like that. Rarely do I ever do that stuff when I'm in the woods. Uh, it's mainly yelps, cuts, and clucks and stuff, you know, when I'm in the woods. So, uh, But, again – Really, I really focused on just this year and the last couple of years on getting competition worthy, but doing that has really just took my calling to, to the next level. Again, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be at that level to kill turkeys. I made, I killed turkeys when I was making sounds like, 
just not doing anything. And like I said, but when trying to get more realistic and just my nature of trying to perfect anything that I'm doing, then, you know, I tried to, Mitchell helped me a ton. And when I use these small frame calls, and that's one thing I, I hear a lot of people is saying, um, I can't do a call. I've tried and tried and tried. I can't do it. I said, try a small frame call. They put a small frame call in. It's like, wow, I saw a huge difference. I said, well, that, that was me. And, uh, the problem with that is back in the early days when they started making youth calls is they made it in like a V cut or a straight cut. And that's pretty much it. I put a lot of different um, diversity in the reads because the reads can give you so much different sounds just right out of the gate, you know, with whatever read combination you use. But Mitchell was the first one when he started making calls that he said, well, man, I can make you whatever cut you want because I had so much many more options in adult calls because that's where the mass, you know, people are, is buying. And he said, I can make you whatever cut. And so he started making all kinds of youth cuts and stuff like that. And um, that's really what enabled me to start making really true to life turkey calls and really perfect. I mean, I don't have my box here with me. I've got what's in my vest, but I mean, I've got, I've probably got 50 or better mouth calls. And uh, for competition worthy, I can put in the same read, same cut. And one out of every 10 or so is exactly what I'm looking for. All of them are turkey worthy, hunting worthy. But competition worthy, I mean, really, it, it takes a lot to find one that is just, it's its just, it's spot on what you're looking for. Sure, the reeds are stretched just a little bit tighter, or a little bit looser, and they, they roll over a little bit different. That's wild, man. Well, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and they're cutting this stuff with scissors. That's that delay. Sorry. Go ahead. Technology, man. Why don't you... To <laughs> to bring the plane in for landing, uh, if you can, can you share your most memorable hunt with us? Yeah. So I've been sitting here thinking about what kind of story, because you've hunted as long as I have. I mean, I've got so many, uh, you know, different stories from my first deer to my biggest buck, uh, you know, my kid's first deer. There's so many memorable hunts out there. Uh, I've had some really cool deer hunts, duck hunts, turkey hunts. Uh, but really, uh, last year, I had one that it was just special. Um so uh, kind of lead up to it. And I've got the buck right here beside me. So I'll show you. I'm not used to being able to show my, my deer horns. So again, this is not a giant buck for you, get, you Midwest guys, but this is a 105 inch seven pointer. I don't know. Let me get my camera. Everything's reversed here, but uh, 105 inch seven pointer. This buck antler wise doesn't look like all that much, but was a huge body buck on our property. I mean, just an old deer giant body the year before, uh, last, uh, he just a big, he was, uh, again, he was always, he's always been a seven pointer, but he was completely nocturnal. Uh, everybody on the property that hunts with me, uh, this is on private land, at least uh, family lease. And there's, uh, four, three other guys that hunt with me here. We all had this buck on camera at some point last year. Um, but he was completely nocturnal or the year before last year, uh, he completely nocturnal and uh, nobody ever laid eyes on this buck. Well, he showed back up again this year. He He's a really homebody deer. He stayed on this property. I don't think he ventured very far off of it because we had him so regular. But again, always at night. So um, we didn't have a lot of bucks to go after this year for whatever reason. We just didn't have a lot of uh, big bucks. We had a little bout with EHD early on in the year, and I think we lost one of our best bucks to EHD um, that that we all had our hopes on uh, that deer. But this buck, uh, he 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 survived it. Um, and but again, we wouldn't get a whole lot of pictures, and then really. Right before our rifle season kicked in, the buck went just completely disappeared. We'd almost lost all hope. So I told my little boy, I said, let's go. It's opening day rifle season. I said, let's go out. So we went in the afternoon. 
I had a little food plot that I'd planted and a little ground blind set up for him. And I knew it was a good spot for him just to see, you know, a deer or maybe a little rack buck or something. And um, so we're sitting in the blind, uh, deer start coming out and I looking off, off the hill, I hear a grunt and here comes uh, a pretty little basket rack six pointer. And of course my little boy's nerves just start kicking in. It's really cool to watch him, you know, get that excited about a deer. Deer came into the food plot, starts eating around a little bit and he, he comes up, steps up behind a tree and the little boy's like, yeah, daddy, I want that deer. I want that deer. And so uh, I said, well, you know, go ahead. And, you know, we're trying to calm him down, trying to calm my nerves. I get so worked up. I get more worked up over my son shooting one, I think, than I do, you know, in that moment, uh, just hoping for him so well. And uh, but he pulls the trigger and the deer, it runs maybe 10, 15 yards and piles up. So we get out of the blind. And actually, I didn't have just my, my oldest son who was pulling the trigger, but I had my youngest son who's five years old uh, sitting in my lap this whole time. So we're all three in the ground blind. And so we get out, we're all celebrating, we walk, and we, we look at this deer, take, him, you know, take pictures with it. And I realized, you know, we still got an hour, hour and a half before the end of, uh, of shooting, right? And I said, well, you know what, bud? I said, let's drag this deer back and let's put it behind the blind and we'll get back in and just see if anything comes out. I said, that would give daddy a chance to, to hunt, you know. And about 15 minutes before dark, we can hear a deer uh, walking through the woods. It's a really dry day. And, uh, and my little boy hear, heard it better. He's got better hearing than I do. He said, dad, I hear a deer. And I was and I started listening. I said, yeah, I hear it too. And I look at the end of our lane in our food plot and out steps the seven pointer that we'd been after for two years. And again, just that I knew him immediately because just the big dark looking body and just the, you know, he's got a, a taller rack than some of the other bucks we had. And I knew immediately it was him. And so I, I grabbed my gun and uh, come up and, and shoot it really quick. It all happened really quick. Wasn't even sure if I got him or not. And so really cool blood track. I'm also colorblind. So um, to, especially to red, I'm not completely colorblind, but you know, my little boy's, are not colorblind so they can track a deer so much better so i let them take the lead and track this deer and just a great experience all around me and my little boy double i got my youngest son with us uh my buddy and his daughter were actually hunting just out the ridge so they come over uh and help just because he had a four-wheeler we were able to take both deer out at one time you know uh just it's just something will stay with me again not my biggest buck but a buck that i really wanted to target and uh didn't have a whole lot of hopes for it, but just a magical day where my boy got one and then the buck that we've not, nobody on our property had ever laid eyes on happened to walk out into that food plot that afternoon. So just a really cool hunt all the way around. Dude, that's awesome. What a cool feeling to have that happen. I mean, Greg and I, we each had a, a I mean, you definitely had a target buck. I was kind of like quasi targeting <laughs> that, that one. And to see that come to like into view in real life, what a, awesome feeling and then to know that your son had tagged out and see him do all that stuff um hopefully we'll see all my kids do i got they're young they're uh, gonna be four and gonna be two and gonna be you know born uh this september th- number three is on the way so at some point it'll be really exciting to have them live through some of those experiences but what if they decide to go down that path with me or not I, you know i'm not gonna force them but i have to imagine i would probably be more yep. excited for them than i ever would be for myself you know that's cool, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, and thanks for... It is, exactly. My buddy, I just realized my buddy's on... Oh, is that right? My buddy's Ronald? on Facebook. He's the one that gives the smiley face. Just, oh, he, he was at that buck, too, so I think a little bit of jealousy is kick, kicking in on there. So he's rolling his eyes on your, your Facebook <laughs> feed. Ronald Brandon Apps, you're there. That's my, my, my good hunting buddy that does uh, public land. Uh, I put Brandon on every big buck he's ever killed, so he wouldn't do anything without me. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, <laughs> you can get more an eye roll from that one. You might get a little finger for that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get some comments. That's cool. So, I'm glad he was able to jump in here. 
Well, you know, well, thank I was, you guys so much for having me. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. No, and sorry for the technical issues in, in the leg. I don't know. Technology is technology, man. Sometimes we just draw a short straw with some of the, the tech that we got running here. But uh, we appreciate you taking time to be on the show for us. And, and we produce the same night. So this will be live in podcast land tonight. Um, you know, I'll see if I can chop some up for you in, in a, a you know vertical format if you want to share some. You know, maybe uh, I can get some good clips out of here for you. But, you know, thanks so much for being on here. And, again, just remind people where they can find you. I know not everyone's on TikTok yet, but there is a surprisingly large number of hunters on TikTok. So uh, if you want to just share your tags, your handles for the different areas you're on, I would highly encourage you, by the way, to take your TikToks and put them in Instagram Reels. Like, Instagram just announced in their app update that they're pumping out Reels more and more and more. It's being more widely adopted. So you should get on that train for sure. We could all use your content there. Yep. I'll do it. Sounds good. So, yeah, again, it's, uh, let's see, the TikTok handle is get outdoors, the number two, the word day, get outdoors today. Your Instagram handle uh, that we're going to see you pumping out reels on, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right, is uh, Whitley's underscore whitetail underscore pursuit. And you have a YouTube channel also. What is that one? Yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you, to be honest. I, I've not done I, – I had such big plans for my YouTube channel this year, and just none of it really panned out. So uh, I'm hoping to get a YouTube – a lot of my YouTube channel is just uh, what I've been doing right now with TikTok, and I just post a video over there. So I don't really have it up and going just yet. So I, I, to be honest, I can't even tell you what my handle on no YouTube worries. is right now. No worries. But, dude, YouTube is launching YouTube Shorts, so uh, it's the same thing. It's a stories thing. It's a – you know, it's the same thing. So you could dump your stuff over there too as a cross pollination way and um you can you can probably garner some following. And anything new like that, reels, shorts, there's a lot of uh clout behind those social platforms pushing that content. So you'll you'll have a tidal wave if you if you dump that stuff over there too. And I'm I'm absolutely wanting to do that because TikTok does limit us on how much we can show. I mean a lot of people you see on you see on TikTok where people are showing pictures of deer or turkeys and stuff. The minute that I upload, uh, I just uploaded. This is the spurs off the bird I killed this year. The second that I uploaded this, within five minutes, it was it was taken off. It was booted off of TikTok for community violations. So that's the negative part of TikTok. The more clout you start getting on TikTok, and the more followers, the more TikTok polices you, and they do not like this kind of content. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, and I've been told and I've been urged to get on Instagram and YouTube because they're they're letting yeah, they'll let me show some of the deer, deer and stuff like that. The yeah. success stories. Instagram's got it. They're not they're not the best either with some of that stuff. It depends. YouTube's probably going to have a lot more flexibility. But I will say, uh, Go Wild is an app based out of Kentucky, a Kentucky based startup. It's a social platform. No bars hold when it comes outdoors. You can po- you can post all that stuff. You're not going to get police at all. Uh, it's a community meant to help people, so it might be a good place for you to find a nice little home there if you get that other stuff policed. But I digress. Uh, thanks again for being awesome. on the show. I'm going to end the line. Said that. Go wild. Yeah, that's the one. Um, it's, it's They got a really cool logo. It's a G and a W. It's all awesome and stuff. Um, Brad Latrell's the, the owner over there. He's been on the show. Um, I have another podcast he's been on. They, they have a great product. It's a really fun platform. Greg's on there. I'm on there. Um, Probably not on there enough because we're there's too many to be on, but it's a good right. one. So with that, I'll end the live feed. Mm-hmm. If you want to hang well, out, thank with you guys us. again. I appreciate just the opportunity to get on here and just. Yep. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, buddy. Appreciate yeah. it. 
What's up everyone? Anthony Heller here with Dear Vane and this week's tip of the week is patience. I know that's kind of redundant or it sounds silly, but at the same time, I am a run and gun turkey fool and it is what I do. I go after them, I don't sit and wait and I have failed for the last three or four seasons doing that. Always pushing the envelope, always trying to close that distance rather than waiting for that time to come to me. I was always belly crawling and trying to trying to close that 70, 80 yards down to 30, 40 for my shotgun. And tried with bow multiple times. And anyway, just having a lot of uh, a lot of failures there, getting close, but just never making it. So this year uh, I actually killed my first public land turkey and, and I was just patient. Um, listening to the wild turkey doctor, he said, you know, when, when you make a call, those turkeys, they hear you and they can pinpoint exactly where you are. They know right off the bat when they hear you where you are at pretty much within feet. So if you set up, you give that call and you just give them some time. Uh, it's not nearly as fun as that run and gun style, but, uh, but at the same time, if you're looking to put some turkey, turkey nuggets in the frying pan, the patience will really help you out. So for this hunt, I actually was able to spot this turkey from, I don't know, six, 700 yards away and actually worked my way to him, got up in a tree line, set my decoys out, called to him. I was about a hundred yards. He didn't respond at all. After about 20 minutes, I kind of was like, okay, is he still even there or not? I, I crawled back out to the tree line, peeked down the, peeked down the way. There he was still full strutted out. So I, I retreated back to my setup back in the wood line gave another call and then just waited. And about 35 minutes later, here he comes on a string right to my decoys and I was able to, to knock him down at uh, 20 yards. So uh, I just gave it patience, gave it time. And over the course of an hour from the first time I called to when I was able to kill that bird, uh, he just sat there, just hung out. And I always think to myself, you know, these are prey animals. They they make one mistake and they're dead and they're, they're food on someone else's plate. Whereas we, as predators, if we make a mistake, well, we just get a little hungry and, and we just move on and to the next opportunity. So keep that in mind. Just be a little bit more patient if you're having some frustration with these birds and uh, this spring and hopefully that'll help you out. All right, catch you guys later. Right, tip Anthony if you guys haven't checked out uh, Deer Vane's YouTube channel or Instagram page I highly recommend it Anthony is awesome his content is great as I've said before but he's had some really good guests on his podcast um, he's really going all not maybe not all in it I don't know what he's doing but it's, it's the product is great the interviews are good uh, solid guests good topics so uh, another great podcast if you're looking to add another one to your subscription list and <laughs> including ours, hopefully, uh, you know, and I wanted to just make a couple announcements about like our guests that are coming up. So uh, next week on the 11th, we're talking with uh, Bill Thompson with Spartan Forge. who's also one of our podcast partners here. Uh, we're going to talk about everything that he's got going on, what's new with the platform, what's on the horizon for the platform. They have some other things and events that are in the works. A lot of wheels are in motion over there. Um, so really, it'll be a really strong podcast for them to get word out and talk about their platform. Uh, but for anyone that doesn't know and is looking for a deeper dive into what that is, if you've heard rumblings about it from other folks in, in the hunting community, it'll be a good one to tune into. Uh, fast forward beyond that, and we go to the following Tuesday, the 18th of May, we're talking to a repeat guest, 
Alex Romando, who was on before. He's going to fill us in on some hunting stories that he's had last season with a bear, a buck, and uh, he's just been adding to his cookbook recipe. <laughs> he's got a ton of recipes over there, so excited to talk to him, as well as become a good friend of the podcast. And then as we wrap up the month on the 25th, uh, we're going to talk with um, Big Woods Bucks. Joe over there has uh, opted to join us, so we're going to talk about how to hunt in Big Woods and get big deer in Big Woods from the experts themselves. These guys are hardcore as far as I'm concerned. Um, they have a great platform, a lot of great personalities and, uh, you know, hunters that are under that brand or that umbrella. So if you know who those guys are, great. I think you'll enjoy and appreciate the episode. If you don't, you're going to want to tune into it. It should be a pretty strong episode. Um, then we're, I think it's going to be the 26th. We're going to do a back to back and I could be wrong about the day. Maybe it's the 1st of June. I'll flesh that out as we go, but we're going to do a back to back with Smackdown Outdoors. So uh, we're going to guest on his show and he's going to guest on ours and we're going to do that live. So a little bit more collaborative. I think we're also going to collaborate with uh, the Huntivore podcast. And I think we're looking to do that one uh, next week, I believe. So the date is going to be Thursday the 13th. So that's not on our platform. That'll be in there. So I'm not sure when that'll air, but you know, we're always up for collaborations. If there's anybody you think we should talk to or have any introductions for us, you can always uh, send us a direct message on our social channels, or you can email me, uh, eric at where to hunt app.com. And that's where the word to to hunt app, app.com. If there's anybody you think that uh, you could give us an intro to or what have you, or topics you want to hear about, etc. Uh, we've been at this for a while. This is episode 181. We, we have some staying power here and we don't have too difficult a time getting a guest. You know, someone we got to chip away at for a while, but, um, most people are within reach, I think, unless it's like Steve Renella or something. I don't know that I could make that happen. So uh, in any event, that's what's going on. Our app continues to make progress. We're kind of hitting a turning point on the production and development side of things. So we've been able to make a lot of progress behind the scenes with our infrastructure. We've redone everything, which is a lot of work and a big deal. So now that we have the foundation laid, hopefully we can move a little bit quicker here to kind of show some of you folks kind of what we're doing there with the new feature set and how that's going to roll out. So some, honestly, some really big things that come from that. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And uh, if you haven't heard, they are one of our partners, the OKS Hunter just launched their OKS crew last week and uh, are accepting applications to join the OKS crew to help with their mission to end deer shaming. So if you're passionate about, you know, not, being bullied or, or bullies in the space and deer shaming and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and you really want to get back to your roots and portray hunting for you know, whatever it is you want to hunt for, whether that's the memory, the experience, the meat, even if you are for um, antlers to, to a degree, whatever it is that makes you happy is your tag. You should do what you want with it. If that's a message you can get down with, you should check out the okshunter.com, go to their OKS Hunter crew page and you can register there and see if you will be accepted. Uh, that's, I think everything I have today, happy Cinco de Mayo. I did drink some Don Julio number 70 or whatever it is tonight. And it was really, really good. Uh, very good tequila. I would highly recommend it if you're into that stuff. I'll be back to the uh, Drop Time Spirits bourbon next week. Have a great day, everybody. Hunt public. Hunt public.